Oh, this is nice, isn't it? This is the Not The Top 20 podcast. This is Ali Maxwell sitting opposite me, George Ellick. George, happy new year. Merry Christmas to you and to yours. Thank you. Did you have an enjoyable two-week break? Yeah, very enjoyable. Um, kind of felt like we... There's a lot of football since me and you last spoke and mm. um, and it's almost been quite difficult to keep on top of it without having a podcast to do every couple of days. <laughs> um, but I think we've just about done it. Um, just about watched every single goal of the last kind of two and a half weeks back and wrapped our heads around um, because, yeah, since we last spoke, we gave teams re- report cards and it's fair to say... That if we did them now, a couple would probably look a little bit different. Well, let's hope there's not too much rust, as you say, just over two weeks since our last pod. Uh, some of those mid-season report cards might take a bit of a battering today. And we might as well start, as we mean to go on, uh, in the championship. And what we're going to do today, quite simply, is probably not linger and dwell on any individual matches because there have been uh, at least four rounds of games, four EFL slates since we last spoke. and In fact, some teams have played five games uh, as well. At the top of the championship, over the last four games, with four wins out of four, George Ellick, Reading FC, eight goals, one conceded, 12 points. Middlesbrough FC, seven goals, one conceded, four wins, 12 points. Both teams had started to put together a bit of form before those mid-season report cards, but it's fair to say that has continued in spectacular fashion. What a fantastic few weeks for these two clubs. Yeah, huge. Uh, Almost done to spite what we said about them a couple of weeks ago, but uh, you have to give massive credit to both of them. Um, And I don't think you can really caveat it with anything. I don't think we're going to sit here and say, you know, it's all well and good beating X, because you look at Reading specifically, uh, really good wins away from home against um, Preston and Fulham the last time out, conceding just the one goal, winning 2-0 and 2-1, beating a QPR team who since then have been in um, ridiculous goal-scoring form, scoring 11 goals in the last two games in all competitions, demolishing a, a, a you know an informed Cardiff team 6-1. So you have to give them huge credit for that. And then Middlesbrough as well, very... F- very few occasions um, since we've been doing this podcast for you know nearly four years have we seen such a turnaround in form. Without having changed a manager, without having added any crazy January additions. No, but I think the key here is just a, a, an investment in terms of faith in youth from, from Jonathan Woodgate. Um, I, it, I said there are no caveats. You have to wonder... Um, if this was kind of getting towards last chance saloon for Woodgate and therefore he had to turn to the likes of Jed Spence because he was running out of options. But what I mean, what this young team have done has been absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I t- talk about the two away wins for Reading. Middlesbrough, very, very similar, beating Preston, beating West Brom as well. Uh, and then in the FA Cup, of course, putting out putting up a brilliant display against, against Spurs and holding on uh, to get a replay and their name will be in the hat this, this evening. Um, so... It's hard to imagine, especially with Borough, that this run of form will continue purely because it's just so, um, it's in such stark contrast to what we were seeing for the majority of the season. And it's a hell of a big ask for some of these young lads to to continue their form. And also Dan Randolph, of course, looks set to leave the club today. Well, they've uh, done it all without To West Randolph. Ham. I mean, of course, very of impressive. course. But just in terms of, of um, you know, Piers has come in and done very well. But just in terms of having experienced heads around, it's going to be, a really, really tall order and a tough ask for Woodgate to maintain it. But credit to him. And with Reading, we've always known the tools have been there for a very good team. Um, Ajari and Swift still at the, at the centre of things as well. But Mark Bowen is is getting a far better tune out of out of this group of players than uh, than anyone's managed to do so before. And they do have the quality to to really push up. So, you know, going back to our report cards, I think you'd have to give them both kind of ten out of ten for the Christmas period. It's a tough listen back to my monologue on Middlesbrough back in the report card. I think it was a two or a three out of ten. Uh, and there was a few beers deep at that point, And you can really tell, listening back, one of the main points was... Blame it on the booze. One of the main points was, well, not a point, it was a fact that at that stage, the only games they'd won had all been 1-0 wins at home to teams in the bottom half of the table. Uh, in, in the bottom 10, in fact, that was Wigan, Reading at the time, uh, Barnsley and Charlton. Uh, and then almost immediately, they beat Stoke, also in the relegation zone, uh, 2-1 
at home. And I thought, well, it's still a one-goal victory against a poor team at home. Then they beat Huddersfield on Boxing Day 1-0. Still a, a 1-0 win against a team in the bottom 10. Uh, and then... <laughs> two nil away wins at West Brom and Preston are really the the sort of the standout, the billboard results. And I think you're absolutely right to focus on the the youth revolution uh, of of Woodgate. I think it was five or six youth academy products uh, or or players signed very young who started in the game uh, we covered on the Friday night against that Stoke team where they came from behind to win, showed a lot of character. Uh, and it's almost as if the exuberance and quality of those performances has brought some of the not necessarily the senior players but some of those who we'd have expected more from earlier in the season out of their shell a bit I mean we've seen George Savile come in and play a key role in that win at Preston um, Rudy Justed came into the starting 11 and scored in that game and a really popular goal scorer in the dressing room which was great to see because he's someone who's been much maligned at times Justed uh, Ashley Fletcher who again I think doesn't feel like a young player because he's been around for the last few years, but very much is a, a young player and has been on fantastic form, summed up by a remarkable goal against West Brom. And uh, he's in the goals as well. So it's not just those young players. Marvin Johnson still performing uh, when Hayden Coulson needs a rest. So uh, really impressive from the whole squad, really impressive from Woodgate. From a Reading perspective, of course, you're right to touch on, on Swift and Ejaria. I know that Preston fans feel... Uh, that there are many people, ourselves included, who potentially focus on other star players in the championship uh, at at the at the behest of uh, likes of, of John Swift and Ajaria, who we, we maybe talk about a fair bit, who we give some praise to, but in their eyes, potentially not enough. There was a bit about uh, a bit with you on Twitter the other day talking about Easy Pereira, etc. People saying, "What about Ajaria? He, he's had a bit of a stop-start season." thanks to injuries, but his performance the other day uh, in, in assisting uh, the goal against Fulham, that showed his quality really, didn't it? Just th- that one-on-one ability, dribbling ability that Easy has as well, that sort of skill. Yeah, I think there's some comparisons to be drawn between the season Ajari is having now and the season that Easy had last, or Eze, I should say, had last season, where there's no denying his talent. Um, and, you know, he's unlike Eze, he's got... You know, the calibre of coming through at, at Liverpool shows that he's quite clearly got the technical ability to be very good at this at this level. He's now starting to perform, you know, at, at a level that would see him as one of the, 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 the league's elites. And his performances themselves are starting to really positively impact on the club. I personally think that if it wasn't for Eze, QPR would have been in real, real trouble last season and they'd be a lot further down the league this season. You can't say the same for Reading in the past 12 months because they have struggled. They have been through two managers. So it wouldn't surprise me if this time next year, if we're talking about Ajaria in terms of, of being set to move up, I don't think he's ready yet. I think his his um, the development of his talent would be far better suited having another 12 months playing for Reading. Um, unlike, I would say, Eze, who is ready now to make the step so Swift's an interesting one isn't he 24 he is he has, has done played, consistently yeah. has played quite a lot of championship football now but quite clearly I think both eye test and stats showing that he appears to have made a, a made a leap as they say in American sports when a, a player has clearly reached the next level um, whatever he ate over the summer whatever he worked on over the summer is working uh, seven assists and five goals in the league and he's he's an interesting one because like Ajaria, came through at uh, one of the elite academies, Chelsea. Uh, obviously, didn't get much of a chance there, like so many others. And like a few players a year or two younger than him, like Izzy Brown and uh, Lewis Baker, sometimes it takes a while to really find themselves. But I'd be interested to know what level he might reach Swift, whether his next move will be a championship move uh, to, to, to a team with you know parachute payments coming down. He'll obviously cost a fair wedge or whether there might be a Premier League team that takes a punt on him. Because I think he's showing this season that he's not just a creative passer. He's actually been part of, of, a, of a midfield two or three at times, which has been you know fairly solid as well. While his main responsibilities are on the ball, um, he, he's, he's, he's proving himself. He is proving I think himself. I, I, my only concern with Swift isn't that he isn't good enough. He quite clearly is. But you look at some players, Ajari is a good example of this, Eze, Benrahma, Pereira. These are all guys who... Are very similar ages. They're all between what twenty one and twenty five, elite level championship players, and the ceiling for the players I've just mentioned 
you can't really put a number on it. You can't say that Saeed Benrahma won't be playing Champions League football in three years. You can't say that about Ajara. You can't say that about Eze. It was Swift. I'm not convinced that he has that capacity to be like the very, very top level. And that doesn't detract anything from what he's doing now. It doesn't mean that he shouldn't be a player who's attracting interest from you know mid-table Premier League clubs. It's just maybe the reason he doesn't get the plaudits that the others do is because I can be pretty certain that he's not going to be playing for Arsenal in two or three years. With the others, you don't know that. Okay, and there's a few murmurs about Reading being a potential dark horse for the playoff places. It's easy, in a way, to, to put that label on anyone, given how tight it is still uh, in the Championship. From Brentford in third to Derby in 17th, there is only 10 points. So any team in that group at the moment uh, will be thinking, some quietly, some loudly, that if they can keep this run going, if they can... If they can put a second half of the season together, then they could be a team that punched their way in the playoffs. Reading, of course, have a game in hand, which is against Nottingham Forest in about two weeks' time. So for both Forest and Reading fans, that will be tantalising than that game in hand. How many points more will we have when we're level uh, with the teams around us? We'll find out in a couple of weeks' time. The most impressive thing about winning four games in a row during that spell is that, as we'd spoken about back in November, that was a run of 10 games in 40 days for championship teams. I can't imagine there's been a schedule quite like that. Uh, There certainly hasn't in the last few years. There was an extra game week, so to speak, slotted in uh, for some reason. And it's just been an absolute marathon. Of course, there's been an impact uh, physically for many players. But that's why, for those two teams in particular, it seems even more impressive. Uh, Just a recap of how that mini league of 10 games went over the 40 days it was about five and a half six weeks worth the top of the league was Leeds United uh, their fans very much enjoying that given how excited everyone is about them falling apart but actually the the winners of this 10 game mini league then Middlesbrough in second with six wins and two draws from their 10 games then Brentford in third also six wins same as Leeds and Borough uh, and then uh, on the same points 19 West Brom uh, again whose fans said Oh, this is quite interesting. We felt like we'd been dropping too many points. We felt like we might have been falling apart a bit with four draws, uh, but actually still doing better than most over that spell. Millwall, of course, on good form. They've got 19 from that 10-game spell. And Blackburn uh, rounded off with 18 uh, from those 10 games. At the bottom, it's been a miserable spell for Charlton. Just six points from 10 games, six defeats in that time. Luton, seven defeats in that time, but two wins and a draw makes it seven points. Same as Birmingham, where things are really starting to turn for Pep Clotet. Seven points from 10 games, 22 conceded. Uh, And then eight points for Wigan, perhaps expected, but not for Preston, who have... Yeah, the same run of form as Wigan over the last 10 games, which from the position they were in is really poor. Just five goals scored in their last 10 league games. A couple of other things in the championship to touch on, George. Uh, let's touch on the, the, the teams who did well, not quite as well as Reading and Middlesbrough. Nottingham Forest and Hull both picked up three wins uh, and a defeat from their four games. So here are two teams in and amongst that big group, uh, Forest and Hull, who had a, an, an excellent Christmas period and New Year as well. And it probably affected our <laughs> our thoughts in the in the report card pods uh, with Hull that we um, saw them drawing to all away at Charlton when we were live on Sky Sports Football. Uh, but since then, they've been brilliant. Uh, the 3-0 win against Birmingham, away wins. Seems like this, it was the season of away wins in the championship uh, with QPR and, and, and Sheffield Wednesday as well. So for Hull, you've got to be um, impressed. We flagged them up about six weeks ago as a team who could make their way into the playoff picture. And with Forrest, it's the second time that, that Sabri Lamucci's done this. And for all of the concerns that we have to have sometimes that there is, there are alarming dips in form, um, you have to give him credit for arresting those slides and, and getting those three wins back to back. Really, really impressive. Slight caveat, I guess, that um, you know there are marginal victories against teams at best um, mid-table. Um, against Hull, Wigan, and Blackburn, but uh, but they you know they won that game against Blackburn, a, a Blackburn team who are really really in form at the time. Wigan, I'm sure we'll come onto in a second. Um, if if I had to kind of pinpoint the unluckiest team in the EFL, it would have to be them. Um, they have that horrible knack of of getting beaten when playing badly, and getting beaten when playing well as well. Um, but for Forest and Hull, given how open it is below, I'd say below third um, for all of Fulham's riches and. Uh, expectations 
there doesn't seem much of a reason to put them in that group of Leeds, West Brom and Brentford. So it's so open from, from fourth down that for, for the likes of Hull, uh, who may be outside the playoffs at the moment, who haven't adopted um, a top six or seven position yet, there's no reason why they won't be there pretty soon. What about Leeds and West Brom? The, the two leaders uh, at the moment locked on the same amount of points, 52 from their 26 games. It's two points per game. Always somewhat of a magic number. Uh, Leeds with a goal difference that is two goals stronger than West Brom. Uh, Ever since they really pulled clear about six weeks ago, a lot of the conversation around them comes with the question, can anyone catch them? Will anyone catch them? Uh, with, a, uh, with four game weeks since we last spoke, George, any, any change on what we thought there? I feel like we've always kind of been in the camp that from where they were, from the points difference uh, and how they were looking and the strength or otherwise of the chasing pack, uh, it, it's always seemed like a no from us. I'm not going to say no. I, I just think that, that with Brentford's ability in their ranks, you, you cannot say no. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned a second ago that West Brom fans may have, fe- may have felt like it was all falling apart and they're still in fourth. They still lost ground on Brentford. Um, and the, the narrative that goes alongside the points gained will be down to the performances themselves. And it's very hard to argue anything but the fact that West Brom's performances since that resounding victory against Swansea... Have, have definitely dipped. If they do not raise their levels, I'm pretty sure that Brentford will, will be breathing down their neck fairly soon. The gap at the moment is nine points. Mm. Um, Interestingly, let me run you through some quick maths I just did. Uh, Brentford in the last eight have got 16 points, two points per game. If they were to continue that form over the next 20 games remaining, uh, that would be 40 points, of course. That would take them to 83 at West Brom 1.63 in their last eight games it's not been a great run of form for their high standards if they continue this form which I think we recognize is is not great that would be another 33 points that they would get 32 or 33 and that would have them on 85 or 86 so or or rather 84 or 85 so even then you know, projecting the last eight games, which have been so strong for Bees and poor-ish for West Brom, you've still got West Brom leading by a point. And I think that, it, it, I understand why that's a silly thing to do because so much will happen in that time. But I think it, rep, it, it demonstrates the gap that there is, that that is still the case, even if the, these forms yeah. continue. Um, what I would say, I mean, you have to, if you're, if you're looking at the, the promotion picture. I've no idea if that made any sense. And you can do it with Leeds, I'm sure it did. <laughs> Um, you know the, the two key games left this season in my opinion the, on the 11th of February you've got Brentford against Leeds on the on the 17th of March I think we should go to that one yeah I agree <laughs> on the 17th of March you've got Brentford against West Brom I personally think it's more likely the West Brom will drop points but you know, there's, there's nothing to you know that's just my hunch rather than anything else so they're both equally important given that both teams are currently nine points clear of um, of, of Brentford so if you think there are 12 games between now and Bees hosting West Brom there are six games or five games between between now and Brentford hosting Leeds if Brentford can make up three points on either up to that game then suddenly they get through that game and there's only three points in it so anyone who's telling you that they're, they've already won the league is is just incorrect when you've got the team who are quite clearly um, you know on a level with those other two especially at home still to play them at home um, so if they can, I'm sure that Brentford's management will have a different outlook on it on the way they approach this. But if I was a fan, I would just think to myself, if we can just make up any ground on those two teams, get to that game, win that game, suddenly it's going to look very, very tight. And because sadly we can't touch on every team and we do have to move on to Leagues 1 and 2, uh, forthwith, let's also have a quick look down at the bottom of the Championship George, where it's it's fairly grim for some of the teams, but actually for a few of them, uh, Barnsley, Stoke and Huddersfield specifically, it's actually been quite a good month or two in terms of, of picking up points. Barnsley, who looked so doomed before Gerhard Struber, now look anything but, uh, despite that defeat uh, live on Sky against Wayne Rooney's Derby County uh, just the other day, uh, in which they, they did a fairly classic Barnsley performance, very lively, um, plenty of plenty of work ethic, but just letting themselves down in, in both boxes, really. Um, Luton are in a real muddle at the moment. And you could probably say the same, George, about Birmingham and Charlton. The difference being that Luton are bottom on 21 points, 
Birmingham at Charlton, 18th and 19th at the moment, on 29 and 28. But those are the three teams, just in terms of the last few weeks and months, who are really struggling to pick up any sort of victories whatsoever. How concerned are we about those three? Yeah, very uh, interesting to note as well that Alan Nixon on Twitter talking about the fact that Birmingham are thinking about making an approach for Chris Hewton. Um, and I think when stuff like that starts getting out, it would seem like Pep Clotet's days as Birmingham boss are probably numbered. Around. Really started to turn the last few weeks, hasn't it, in terms of uh, how the fans are viewing his tenure so far. And only a few weeks since he was finally appointed full-time as well. So slightly strange all round. Yeah, um, nothing will surprise me with Pep. Um, well, nothing will surprise me with this ownership group, <laughs> yeah, to be yeah, honest. I I've, I've, I've always said that any ownership group that call themselves Trillion Trophies, uh, when they uh, act in, in a way that really makes trophies unlikely and very difficult to come by uh, anytime soon, it does make me concerned and I would be very concerned about, about Birmingham. But that, I mean, this is a, a really open relegation battle because despite um, not necessarily picking up the points they've deserved, uh, Wigan, have, you know, they've won, so they've lost one of their last five games. Um, they won the most recent one. They are a team who are operating at a far, far higher level than they were um, six weeks or so ago. And you know, Paul Cook finally looks like he's got some kind of a handle on this team. And, and the win at Birmingham uh, last time out in the league is so, so important to them as well because it, they've squandered so many winning opportunities. Um, so to get over the line, uh, to, to kind of have to shut out a team away from home for 10 minutes, holding on to a slender lead was really, really crucial to them. And uh, I've got some hope now that we're going to see a bit of a turnaround for their season. With Barnsley, it's already happening. Um, they are not playing like a team in 23rd position. Gerhard Struber has completely revamped the team and he's got them playing with a zest and a verve that, that we hadn't seen. That I suppose we we kind of thought we were seeing. Bittersweet for Stendhal, the verve yeah, it is. with which they're playing. Exactly, because it is. he's taken them to a new level. Um, maybe some recency bias involved in that because whilst Adam Murray did a, did a sterling job, it doesn't look quite like, you know, there was talk at the time of him getting it full time and, and you know, the pursuit of Struber is already paying dividends. So um, the fact that Wigan and Barnsley are currently playing so much better is interesting. Stoke are another one who, um, not for the first time this season, they currently sit second in the XG ratio table um, for the last four games, despite uh, all evidence on the pitch, um, not suggesting that they are one of the elite teams in the league. Um, but you just have to feel like with, with Stoke, Wigan and Barnsley, basically picking up points um, pretty pretty regularly now for that team above them. I'm not, you know, Huddersfield and one of those, Charlton and Birmingham. It's uh, if they don't pick up their points pretty soon. They've got a nice cushion at the moment between them and the relegation zone. Um, but I don't think that's going to last very long. Yeah, just data-wise, quickly for those who are interested, uh, last eight matches, this is via the Fox Punter service, which is where we get our, our XG data broken down into all sorts of categories um, just in terms of outliers or interesting clubs uh, compared to where they are in the table and what their numbers have been like in the last eight games uh, really notable how poor West Brom and Bristol City's shot data has been uh, that is XG ratio essentially the balance of, of chances that they've created versus those that they've conceded to their opposition so Bristol City and West Brom on somewhat of a downturn in terms of, of shot data terms of the underlying performance data and at the top end you've got Brentford uh, based on a ridiculously good defence. Uh, it, it is now the best defence in the league because Leeds have been quite leaky over the last uh, few weeks of course that 5-4 win against uh, Birmingham notable three all against Cardiff as well so they've conceded a few recently uh, but Hull and Middlesbrough as well round out the top three in XG ratio over the last eight games so a, a couple of teams for whom an upturn in, in, in results has possibly been been uh, backed up by some decent numbers. Uh, we will most likely talk about the following teams in the future. So we'll move on. Uh, Brentford, Millwall, Fulham, Swansea and Derby. You all had good Christmas periods and New Year uh, with seven points from your four games, two wins, one draw and one defeat for all of those uh, five teams. So uh, with Swansea in the market for a striker, now that Surridge has gone back to Bournemouth and, and Borja Baston expected to move on, uh, whether it's Rianne Brewster, we're not sure. That is what Stuart James of The Athletic is reporting. It'd be interesting to see Brewster from Liverpool, a uh, highly rated youth goalscorer, link up with Steve Cooper, uh, the man who, with whom he won the Under-17 World Cup just a few years ago. That would be good to see. 
In terms of other transfers, George, that I've noted down that I think are quite exciting, we wanted to see Herbie Kane in the championship from the start. He joins Hull. Uh, Hull, who, whose midfield players, I would suggest, were already playing fairly well, surprisingly well, over the last few weeks and months. The likes of De Silva Lopez. Um, but, but he might be a replacement for De Silva Lopez, who's, who's got some interest from MLS. Yeah, some... Um yeah, some reports that uh, De Silva Lopez could be on his way to the MLS, which would, of course, be a fairly different move. We don't often see players playing at the top of their game um, in the championship move to the MLS. Chris Cadden, of course, has just left Oxford to go and start his career at the Columbus Crew. But that would seem like a like a big coup um, for, for the New York Red Bulls to, to bring in a player who's probably got some... Um, some getting some glances from clubs in the Premier League, you'd have thought, for after a season so far. Very different players, I would say, Kane and, and De Silva Lopez. Um, the latter being very energetic, and I'd say Kane's, uh, Kane comes to the fore on the ball with his ball-playing ability. But nonetheless, he's someone who, in League One last season, was so important to how Doncaster played. And, and a lot of talk about Donny's um, drop-away this season being down to the loss of John Marquis. But you have to think that losing Kane... Um, as well, pretty, pretty key to why they're not in the playoff places at the moment. Absolutely. And Borough fans, already buzzing about their recent form, are even more excited due to the loan signings of Patrick Roberts from Man City. He's already been around the place on loan, couldn't couldn't settle at Norwich, couldn't find any game time whatsoever, drops down a division to do so. And Lucas Nemecha, who Preston fans remember fairly fondly for his work rate and... For his quality, for his all-round quality, I would say, if not for his goal-scoring exploits last season with Preston, only scored four in the league. But I think Borough fans will, I think he'll be a popular player for them. I think he's a, a good young all-round forward and looking forward to seeing how he does. Of course, we don't know where Nketiah will end up. Um, Arsenal recalled him from Leeds, not happy with the amount of game time he's had in the first half of the season as he's struggled to get past Paddy Bamford. Uh, and he is now up in the air. And where will he land? Will it be Bristol City, uh, who was so keen on him in the summer and remain keen on him? Will it be Sheffield Wednesday? I've seen mooted as well. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, George, talking of Sheffield Wednesday, Nancy Frostick is a journalist for The Athletic, our sponsors. Uh, Nancy covers Sheffield Wednesday, does so uh, expertly, and it's been a busy season for her in terms of covering this team. They didn't start well. They didn't start with a manager, of course, after Steve Bruce left them for Newcastle. Uh, Gary Monk came in and oversaw a remarkable turnaround of both performances, style and results, which took them into the playoff places and got some people, yourself included, very excited about Sheffield Wednesday. Three defeats in a row, as we record, uh, away at Stoke and home games against Cardiff and Hull have somewhat tempered uh, the excitement. And, of course, the potential for a points deduction. But it was another eventful day for Nancy covering the club on the weekend as they went to Brighton and won in the FA Cup. Uh, I mean this in the nicest way. That, that result in the wider footballing world was massively overshadowed by a post-match interview. Mm. Tell me more about that. I'm talking, of course, about Osezi Urugide, just a sensational, sensational debut. A beautiful post-match interview that I imagine every listener has seen. But if not, watch this before George talks to you about <laughs> what he liked most about it. I liked everything about it. Um, and the great thing about Nancy's piece is that we've, we've all seen um, the interview uh, with the young lad, who, of course, was released from AFC Wimbledon just this summer. So if you think, you know, back in May, so seven months ago, um, this this kid was was told he had no future at a League One team, had no club, and then especially a club that plays the young players like Wimbledon. What has happened here? And uh, and then he's managed to get a move to Sheffield Wednesday, of course, a huge club, um, not currently operating at the level that it should be in terms of its history and the, and the size of the fan base and the history of the stadium, and um, to beat a Premier League team in Brighton away from home would have been a dream come true for him but his interview afterwards just I think the great thing about it is that we are we are all so anyone who likes football has dreamt of playing for the club that they support and whilst that not be may not be the hometown club story here just seeing someone 
living their dream in such an obvious way with the grin on his face and you know he says this was the best game to, to make your debut big game starting when the gaffer told me I was surprised what a stage to make your debut it's a dream come true I just love it man I just love it <laughs> and then but the great he thing he couldn't it, keep the biggest smile on his face either but the great thing about Nancy's piece is, is it also has quotes from Gary Monk as well and you know when I went down to go and speak to, to Carl Robinson a couple of weeks ago for The Athletic he echoed the exact sentiment that Gary Monk um, talks about here where he says there are a few things in football that are right up there with seeing a young lad making his debut and starting his journey with the club. The club should be very proud of him as well. And that is, I guess, especially in the in the EFL, the kind of the the way that we'd all like our clubs to operate, where not only are we here to win football matches, not only are we there um, to cheer on our team, but just seeing these these kids, it's all they are, seeing these kids being given the opportunity to make uh, their dreams come true. And, you know, Gary Monk isn't necessarily someone who's got a great reputation for bringing through youth. But for these managers to be given the opportunity to, to make someone's, uh, not to make someone's day, to make someone's life is is, is very important. So, um, I watched know, a bit of video. You good know. on them all. I, I saw the game. He played right back Uruguide and was fantastic against Premier League opposition. Uh, at youth level, I think considered a centre-back. I think that's where he would say is his number one position, um, but watching a, a bit of video of his appearances for the under 23 since he's been at Sheffield Wednesday, uh, a lot of game time at left back as well. And, and that sort of versatility is incredibly valuable for any team. Um, the, the size that he already has at his age, the, the, the pace and the, the bite with which he tackles, the desire to carry the ball forward and the skill as well on the ball to do so. It, it's a player that we're really excited about and want to keep an eye on who really has burst onto our radar and many others, I think, even Sheffield Wednesday fans. Um, and it's got a, a serious-ish undertone for the club because, as Nancy writes in her piece, and this is astonishing, he's only the second player under the age of 23 to feature for Sheffield Wednesday this season. It's unbelievable. The other one, Jordan Thornley, was sold on New Year's Day to Blackpool, was left the club. And we've spoken at length about Wednesday's need real, real need for a number of different reasons, both financial and footballing, to overhaul the squad, to overhaul sounds maybe a bit drastic, to go through a, a period of transition with this squad and to reduce the average age of it uh, in order to to sort of shed the, the skin that they've developed over the last few years uh, and take on another one. And this is a, a sign that they that they have the players who can help them to do that. Their average age uh, in the league this season, 27.8, is the second oldest in the division. And um, it's something that they need to look at. So although they've already got players older than than uh, Osezi, Matt Penny, Jack Stobbs, Connor Kirby, who've all spent the first half of the season out on loan, um, you know, he might have moved himself towards the top of the pecking order in a position where you'd argue Sheffield Wednesday are... You know, they've got some depth, uh, Liam Palmer, for example, but I wouldn't say it's their strongest position. So, uh, excited to see how he does. Great piece from Nancy Frostick. Uh, Theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 is where you should head. If you don't subscribe to The Athletic, but you would like to read this piece and like to read many more like it across the world of football, uh, there's a seven-day free trial up for grabs uh, and then 50% off moving forward uh, using our code, theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. There's another excellent piece from Stuart James as well on what it's like to be the parent of a professional footballer. Lots of quotes from the parents of Patrick Bamford uh, of the EFL parish, Tyrone Mings recently of our parish as well. So really worth a, a read. Uh, head to The Athletic today and sign up using theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. What about League One, What George? about it? A league close to your heart, I think it's fair to say. Hopefully not much longer. We've got... <laughs> uh, four, <laughs> we'll get on to that. Four game weeks since we last spoke. Many of our midweek report cards already so outdated as to look literally decades old. Uh, Rotherham picked up the most points over that spell. Ten points because of three wins and a draw in four games. Really positive few weeks for Paul Warren's team. But Coventry won three out of three, 100% record, uh, which included two 4-1 away wins. So I think we should start with Coventry. Back-to-back 4-1 wins and back-to-back Matt Godden hat-tricks. Absolutely <laughs> sensational. I can't remember anyone scoring back-to-back hat-tricks since we've been covering the pod. And I'm not sure enough's been made of it. Uh, this is a, a player in Matt Godden who... 
We saw score a lot of goals for Stevenage, didn't we? We saw score not many goals for Peterborough, for Posh. Um, Coventry picked him up and that's nine goals now in 13 starts this season. Uh, an injury hit season. Um, but what a return to the team. I guess there's a lot of Coventry fans thinking that they might be, based on recent form, somewhat of a contender and looking at what's happened to the league over the last few weeks, <clears throat> quite hard to argue with them. I'd say anyone who's arguing is is wrong. Um, they have to be a contender. They've got uh, a really capable manager, a very, very balanced young squad, and the only missing link was a goal scorer. And that's probably the one thing that has aged quite well from our reports cards, as we said that Gordon could be the guy to come in and uh, change the season uh, for the better. And he certainly did that with back-to-back hat-tricks. So... Uh, if they can keep him fit, um, some talk today as well that, um, that Zane Westbrook is a target for a few championship clubs mm, who I would be that. a bit of a, a bit of a loss. You have to say that is an area where they have numerous they do. options. I mean, they've been playing this sort of box formation in midfield, like a sort of five-four-one with mm. four central midfield players in the last few weeks. So they, they have got plenty of them. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the results are so impressive and, um, you know, they are a side who uh, it, it's, it's, you have to admire everything they're doing. They're doing it without playing it at, at home as well, um, which is so impressive. They've shaken off any ideas that they couldn't win away from home with, with back-to-back 4-1 wins at Wickham and Tranmere. Uh, and the league, because of, you know, we said many times that we'd be able to assess how good Wickham were at the end of a difficult run of fixtures. We, we're towards the back end of them. Um, and Wickham have picked up one point, I think, in their last um, in their last four games, losing three of them. Um, mm. So you have to now think it's a really, really tall order. I know they've got points on the board. Still a three-point lead, which is a good outcome after that run of form, after just one win in, in four games. It's pretty, Sorry, one point in four games. It's pretty hard for me to um, see how Wickham can change the form from now to such an extent that they're going to be at the top end of the table. To get back on the horse, I I think that might be a a bit of an issue. I think in Rotherham and Coventry and Oxford, you've got three teams who are hitting their straps at at kind of a a pretty important time. Um, I'm not ruling it out. I'm just saying that right now, despite being top of the league, Wickham are not the most likely league winners, in my opinion. Um, And you've got some teams further down the pyramid who I'm sure are still looking. I mean, even down to, to Portsmouth in in 10th position on 35 points, they will not see that nine-point gap between them and Wickham as, as unbridgeable that, you know, by March, let's say, let alone May. Mm. And therefore, in terms of contenders for the title, uh, we spoke about Coventry. You said it would be wrong for anyone to think that they're not a contender. Uh, what about Rotherham, who picked up 10 points from four games in this period? They're another uh, strong contender. What do you like about Rotherham? Of course, this is with the context of your own team, Oxford United, being favourites for the title uh, since, I think, Boxing Day. Uh, which, uh, What was that like when you suddenly saw that? Because this is obviously a team that took a while to get going. I think it's fair to say this season, just one win You're in your first... Carl, Carl said it was only a week. One win in your first seven league games and just five points and now favourites for the title. What a, what a roller coaster for you, George. It has been, and... You mentioned Rotherham there. We've got Rotherham at home on on Saturday, and then Ipswich away. Sorry, then Ipswich at home on Tuesday. And uh, you know, games. if we're saying that the Wickham run of fixtures was going to tell us a lot, I think this is going to tell us a lot now because uh, off the back of a one 0 win away at Doncaster, which you know, while some um, fans of other clubs may hope that's showing a kind of chink in the armour, Oxford were very dominant that day, and and you know the, the performance level didn't really dip. Uh, and Cameron Brannigan uh, wasn't playing as well due to uh, some fatigue. So, yeah, I think it's probably right. I think we probably are the most likely winners. The, the run of form we're on and the way that we approach games and, and the, the personnel at our disposal is just um, different gear, really, to, mm. to most others. Uh, that's not to say that we're going to breeze through this league because there are a lot of other good teams there and that's not the way it works. But it's hard to imagine that if the performance levels maintain from as they have been since, you know, say the beginning of October, um, we're going to get a lot of points and that's going to be hard to um The defeat against Doncaster, I, I, as well as being hugely frustrating, I sort of had down in my notes, 
one of those that, that certainly yourself as a fan, but also someone who likes looking deeper than just the result would, would still be as defeats go, not too discouraging yeah, not long term because, I mean, you absolutely battered them. Yeah, and, it, and it's going to happen. Um, Darren Moore was about the 15th manager of the season to come out afterwards and say that the Oxford were the best team they've faced so far this season. There you go. Um, but, the, you know, this happens a lot and things might happen. Brannigan might leave, Dickie might leave, Shandon might get injured, Shandon Baptiste, and then the form dips and suddenly in, in two weeks we're talking in Oxford at the 8th or ninth. This isn't simple. Um, Ipswich are currently on, on the back of a terrible run of form. They're still in fifth. If they can turn it around, they can easily get up there. Peterborough, we know all about on their day. They can beat anyone. And even the teams below now, below sixth, Fleetwood, Sunderland, Portsmouth, Blackpool, all outside the playoffs, every single fan at all of those clubs will be expecting them to mount, mount a challenge this season. But yeah, so, in terms of congestion, it's not that dissimilar to the championship, is it? From, no. From second in Rotherham on 41 to 15th in Doncaster on 31. Again, 10 points there. That, that, is, that is an extended uh, winning streak away for every team in that group from, from basically getting into the, the playoffs, the and top even, two and beyond. Even Sunderland now, um, you know, I'm starting to look at as being a side who, you know, they're unbeaten in their last five. Lyndon Gooch making a big impact. The the nil-nil draw at home to Bolton is, of course, frustrating, but they've taken, you know, three points at Doncaster. Mm-hmm. They, you know, wiped the floor with Lincoln in the first half where they were out of sight. They got a very good draw away at Fleetwood. Um, so whilst a lot of Sunderland fans may not thank me for saying it, uh, there are signs that maybe Parkey is finally starting to get this team playing that he wants them to play. And, you know, if that does happen, there's, you know, all it takes is a couple of wins. I mean, they've got Wickham at home coming up on Saturday. Then they go to MK Dons. A couple of wins there, they'll probably be in the top six and they'll bring Wickham even closer to the pack. A couple of other things to touch on here. Uh, the longest unbeaten streak in League One is currently Gillingham's. And that is a six-game unbeaten run. Uh, we've touched on them a couple of times over the last few weeks. They've picked up some eye-catching results. Certainly at home, they look nigh on unbeatable at the moment. Not since a, a heavy defeat to Rotherham on the 3rd of November have they lost. And four wins and a draw at home since then. They still have a, a, a bit of an issue against teams above them. Teams in the top half. They've beaten Wickham uh, and Sunderland they beat as well at home. Uh, but they haven't managed to beat any of the other top 11 teams the other nine in that group so if they are to get above their position of 12th as we've said a few times that is something that that needs to change for Gillingham but very impressive also in the FA Cup uh, in defeat to West Ham Uh, what else is there we've spoken about some teams that did well one more team to touch on uh, for nine points in that period same as Oxford are Burton Albion we've sort of flirted with Burton all season and, and they haven't always delivered both on the betting show both on the Monday pod saying that we expect them to, to get higher than where they were sort of the middle of the bottom half of the table and they're starting to put together the results uh, Liam Boyce is, a, is is I think a welcome addition to the score sheet having had a, a fairly barren run in front of goal in the first part of the season and Scott Fraser probably the most underrated player in the league I think uh, one that we don't bang on about enough. It, he got a hat-trick of assists on uh, on New Year's Day and uh, continues to look quality, probably under threat from, from championship teams transfer-wise in January. Uh, and MK Dons put together some, some good performances, some good results as well. No surprise to anyone who heard you waxing lyrical about them after they beat Yellows a few weeks back. As for the negatives, well, Southend still can't win. I think it's 15 games now since they last... One, uh, but some of the teams who were towards the top of the table have had a, a tough run. Peterborough hate Christmas time. They always do badly in Christmas time. They scored just one goal in their four games. They picked up one point uh, in those four games. Same as Wickham and the same as Blackpool as well. Do you who, feel like we've been here before? I feel like we have been here before. Blackpool <laughs> as well, in our probably one of the rare bits of credit that we've emerged from from those mid-season reports. We said we just couldn't get a handle on Blackpool. We just we, we weren't we weren't quite there with them, uh, and it's three defeats and one draw since then as well. And and lastly, well no, second to last, Bristol Rovers had their manager leave. Graham Coughlin left to join Mansfield in the league below. Since then, Bristol Rovers have two points from four league games, and Mansfield have only four points from four league games, including a home defeat to ten man Grimsby. So it's not been a great start there. Last year in League One, George, I want to ask you about Ipswich because I'd say it's fairly noteworthy that this team that had a decent gap early on in the season at the top of the table 
have not won in eight in the league, have not won in 12 in all competitions, and gave their manager, Paul Lambert, a new contract last week, which runs out now in five and a half years. Quite the statement from a chairman in Marcus Evans, who, in fairness, is doesn't sort of follow the blueprint of many uh, EFL chairmans when it comes to, to managers. He's he's a backer, not a firer, I think it's fair to say, of, of, of management teams. <laughs> Paul Hurst would have something to say about that. But um, it's bizarre. It just And it followed off the back of that weird press conference that Paul Lambert did where he started talking about him being sacked. I just wonder if, if the owner just can't be bothered to deal with the hiring and siring of, of managers and, and feels in Paul Lambert he's got a, a safe pair of hands who can do the kind of a lot of I mean a lot of Ipswich fans are currently calling Lambert PR Paul um, in reference to his you know he's very clever at getting the fans we on board we got told off for mentioning how good his PR was last season in that relegation campaign well, I think people were saying we were being cynical I think they've cottoned on um, <laughs> and, it, and it probably is fair uh, I, I can't really see this this shabby run of Vips which is con- continuing for too long but at the same time there's no denying that currently they're just not very good um, they are struggling to score goals um, it, it feels like they're that kind of team who are incapable of keeping it tight and also being effective going forward um, you know in the, the 5-3 Ipswich game was a sorry the 5-3 Lincoln game was a bit of an anomaly um, but they were always behind in that one and um, only only came out to chase the game once they were already down in it except for that it's fairly turgid stuff. It's marginal in terms of a goal is probably going to win it. If not, it's going to be a one-all draw. And normally they're on the receiving end. Uh, Norwood and Jackson, uh, the goals have, have kind of started to run dry. And I don't really see... I mean, given you, you look through the squad itself and there is seemingly a lot of quality in there. I mean, I think they're, they're definitely missing uh, Kane Vincent Young massively. His injury has, has really coincided with a, with a dip in form. But we talk about Wolfenden the other day as a, as a possible championship centre-back. Norwood was the kind of marquee signing of the whole uh, window uh, in, in League One. Flynn Downs, you know, along with Wolfenden and Lambert, talks about him as if he's uh, already a championship player as well. And if you take the 1-11 to every week, most managers in League One would probably take any of them and put them into their first team. So it, it's, it's strange to see Lambert getting rewarded for what has undoubtedly been a time of, um, of underachievement that has to be coupled, and with the even though Ipswich were one of the the favourites for the uh, for the title at the beginning of the season, he deserves credit for arresting what was a, a a pretty big slide. You know, if 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 Jack Ross got credit for doing the same to Sunderland last season, then I think you have to give Lambert credit for for that. This, and but, I suppose that the flip side is, and you can always pick an example of when something's worked and when it hasn't worked. But it wasn't that long ago that we were raising eyebrows about. Uh, a lengthy extension for Carl Robinson when, like Lambert, I don't think Robinson's contract was, was out. It was rolling, I think. It was rolling. Well, mm. I mean, one of the bizarre things about Lambert's is that it's not like it's up in the summer. He had 18 months left on his deal. So, you know, even from a business standpoint, you might say, uh, given the run that we're on, maybe it would be maybe it would be smart to leave this a couple of months and, and revisit when we know where we are come, come April, come May, dare I say it. You've still got another year on your contract then. Um, but Lambert, you know, whether he, he's obviously good at PR, he's obviously good at managing upwards as well because he's he's done very well to get such a lengthy contract out of his chairman. And with Carl Robinson, look, with, with all of these things, how much importance was Robinson's? How much do you put on, on Oxford's good run since then? Maybe only a couple of percent. But if there's a sense for the squad now that Lambert, you know, they can't just down tools and they'll get the manager sacked if they don't fancy him, that this is their boss... He is unquestionably their boss and they will either leave or they will perform for him. Then potentially that could have uh, a small impact, an impact, uh, a positive impact. So we'll see over the next few weeks, Ipswich have got to start picking up points if they are to stay in touch with the top of the division. A couple of early transfers in League One that have stood out. Uh, Reese Brown to Peterborough on loan from Huddersfield. I'm starting to think that League Two to Championship in one go is too much. Uh, of course there will be exceptions players who are just so absurdly talented they shouldn't be in League 2 in the first place um, young guys like Ethan Ampadu and Ben Wilmot when they've left at 16-17 uh, that, that hasn't been an issue but we've seen in the last few years Sammy Smodix 
up to Bristol City from where he was a key man at Colchester. Uh, he's being shipped out on loan already in January. Hasn't had a chance. Moisa last season, a couple of injuries, but didn't get a chance, having ripped it up in League Two. Um, I suppose Macaulay Bond from the National League to the Championship is the most uh, is the most success someone's had making a big leap this season. Uh, last season, we had Jordan Roberts going to Ipswich from Crawley and not doing an awful lot. Jordan Story, who went to Preston and did well, but has since been sort of dumped out the team somewhat, and, J- and Jaden Stockley as well. Preston fans aren't that keen on. So with Reese Brown as well, who we loved for Forest Green last season, maybe it would have been prudent to, to, to test himself at League One level. Uh, not financially, I'm sure he did very well out of the move to Huddersfield, but uh, not a surprise to see him back in League One only a few months later. Hopefully uh, he can start tearing it up at Peterborough, who need a, a, a bit of extra guile, a bit of extra creativity behind that front three of Madison, Issa and Tony. Also, Steve Seddon has gone to Portsmouth on loan from Birmingham. He can't really get in the team there due to Pedersen's very good left back for them. Uh, but Seddon was brilliant on loan at Stevenage, first half of last season. Uh, was brilliant on loan at Wimbledon, second half of last season. A key reason why they were able to to perform that miracle survival. And now to Portsmouth at the top end of League One. Uh, we'll see if he can tick off that level as well. An, an attacking wing back, an attacking threat from left back that I really think they needed. Um, the, the qualities of Lee Brown I don't think are necessarily in, in the opposition final third and, and we'd like to see Pompey a bit better going forward so Seddon should help them there already had a good start in the FA Cup League 2 George League 2 couple of teams played on the weekend under cover of darkness as mm. everyone else was focusing on the FA Cup and there's a, 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 a name that might be somewhat of a surprise at the top of the League 2 table since we last spoke it's Walsall who got 10 points from their last five games. Uh, Eight points off the playoffs now, Daryl Clark's Walsall. Wow. Mm. Dark Horsels. <laughs> Keep that, please. Dark Horsels, <laughs> I was going for there. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Dark Horsels. Clark Horsels. Yeah, nice. Jesus Christ. That is good. Rusty. Uh, what like, do you like think? that might be the name of the podcast. Do what do you think about Walsall as Dark horse- Horses? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did that one on purpose. No, you didn't. Um, it's it's kind of hard to call them dark horses, I guess, when they're uh, easy for you to say. Yeah, it is when they're top of the um, the form guides. Uh, well, still eight points off the top. Is the form based on them being a really I don't good wanna, team? Yeah, are they edging tight probably games? Not. Probably not. I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's more to it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but you, when a team is is under like in the middle of or at the end of their best run of the season, that's probably the most dangerous time to sit here and be like, yeah. Look at that. You know, look how many points got the last five. They're definitely now going to get that many to the end of the season. It doesn't doesn't work like that, sadly. That does sound easy, though. We should um, do that for every team, yeah, on every pod. Yeah, I think... We um, wouldn't have to do any research. I think football traders across the country are nodding in agreement that everyone should do that the whole time. <laughs> uh, but I think over the... We talk about variance. And we talk about how if a team's performances have been better than than, um, than their results, it's going to improve. And that's what's happened with Walsall. I don't think at any stage they were the 23rd or 22nd best team in this league. Um, they were unlucky at times. And I think we've seen now that Daryl Clark um, has got a tune out of them. And maybe him saying back in mid-November that he wanted to transfer list every single player has had a decent impact because it's the players that he's talking about have suddenly turned it around ahead of the month that could see them replaced. And I'm I'm sure now he probably has a pretty pretty different idea of who he wants to replace and who he wants to keep. Mm. So, um, if you yeah. told me that Dave Jones was going to replace me full time as a presenter of the pod, I think I would. I think I would up my game. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't be saying stuff like dark horses. <laughs> I would definitely be better. So, I mean, and people react in different ways, I guess, to different types of motivation. Yeah, but I don't think we can afford Dave sadly. But Entity um, Twenty meets Legend Daryl Clark doing very well with Walsall. Yeah. Uh, Paul Hurst starting to turn things around a little bit at Scunthorpe as well. Might be too little, too late for both of those teams potentially because we still have that that group towards the top. Most of them have been there since the start. Uh, Crew have come out of this period looking very nice indeed. Three wins and a defeat in their four games. Um, they're racking up the goals. They've scored four goals or more in five of their 24 league games so far this season. That's uh, more than anyone, more than West Brom in the championship. And what was notable about some of their performances crew over this period was it was sort of different heroes, different star men, different key contributors. Uh, Charlie Kirk is putting together quite the season, playing off the left for them. 
he's proving himself to be a a player who, with the ball at his feet and the ability to go both ways, down the line onto his left foot, cutting inside onto his right foot, League Two right backs just can't handle him. So this is a player among many at Crew who are looking forward to playing at a higher level, potentially with Crew next season, potentially uh, for another club. But he's been very good. But it's actually a couple of other guys as well. Callum Ainley, who is a contemporary of Kirk's, who hasn't necessarily had loads of chances this season. Another 22-year-old, expected to play more, but couldn't find his way into the team until the last few games, has come into the team and, and looked absolutely brilliant. Uh, and, and now is a sort of real selection headache for uh, David Artell. You've got the winger, uh, Powell, as well in the goals. He scored a couple of braces in this time. And Chuma Anene, who they have on loan from Midgetland, which must be the most random League Two transfer of the summer. Um, they said when it was announced that it was a result of their increased scouting network. And that's the sort of thing that gets me really going. Uh, crew scouting network taking them to a 26-year-old striker from Midgetland on Surely there's a conversation there between someone at Crewe and someone involved at Brentford. It can't just be... Who knows? Let's it could say, be. I mean, that could be a really Maybe their increased scouting network is sending someone on the train to London to meet yeah. Rasmus Ankerson. Yeah, it'd be interesting if a club like Crewe, um, especially with Brentford continuing to improve, were to forge a link with those clubs, with Midgetland, with Brentford's. Because there's so much talent in that Brentford B side. There's obviously so much talent out, out over there. Um, you'd think that having a relationship with a club who likes to play football in a similar way like Crew do could be very beneficial to all parties. So one to keep an eye on. Definitely one to keep an eye on. Other teams to talk about. We've got to talk about Grimsby, don't we? Uh, they are a team who, since we last spoke, appointed a new manager. Appointed Ian Holloway as their manager. Uh, I think both of us taken by surprise that they were able to to lure him to Grimsby. Um, such a passionate man, such a vibrant character. And seemingly, you know, we've spoken about Paul Lambert and PR. And, and sometimes you do have to, to wade through uh, PR when you're talking about managers, the way they present themselves in the media and, and how similar or different they are at, truly behind the scenes when they get to work. Ian Holloway, who I've worked with, fairly closely now on the Quest Highlights show. Certainly no PR behind it whatsoever. Um, one of the most passionate men I've ever met, not just about football, but just about life in general. And, and, and a wonderful man, and not this sort of caric- caricature court jester that some of the sort of football banter pages on Twitter might have you believe, uh, because some of his quotes from, from earlier in his life get them quite good retweets and quite good numbers. But... It's early days to say that he specifically is having a massive impact at Grimsby, but since he was appointed, they beat Salford 1-0. Narrow game when he was not in charge, but very much being unveiled that day. Did speak to the players before. Uh, Really good atmosphere in that game. And then a sensational atmosphere uh, at Mansfield. To be fair, watching the highlights of that game, both the Mansfield fans and the Grimsby fans, uh, notable for for their noise, uh, and Grimsby leaving with a 1-0 win at Mansfield as well. So two narrow wins have moved Grimsby 11 points clear of the bottom of the table, which is that relegation spot, uh, where there might have been a small concern about being really sucked in as results dwindled uh, post-Michael Jolly. Now it seems like they can... Uh, enjoy the rest of this season with Holloway in charge and, and build for next year. So exciting times, certainly, for Grimsby. Uh, and there's a couple of other teams, George. Colchester, they'll be disappointed not to have beaten 10-man Stevenage on the weekend. And it did show some weaknesses in their squad, being able to break down teams who just sit deep. But they are unbeaten in 11. Uh, and Bradford are unbeaten in 8. These are two of the teams below the top three. Uh, Swindon next to Crew. those are the ones to be shot at any of the teams below them that you're looking at and thinking I quite fancy you to go on a run here <laughs> I keep saying Forest Green and um, I just it kind of baffles me that they've got 41 points because they seem to let me down week in week out mm. um, but Cobblers you have to say um, are still a team who I think are playing very well whose home form will get them a lot of points this season Um and Colchester clearly have the the capacity within their squad to, to to maintain the challenge. I think it's so open there that basically any of the top twelve could still um, come forward and do and do really big things. That the four nil away loss at Crawley for Cobblers was a bizarre result, mm. and I think if you take that out as just 
draw a line through it and pretend it never happened. Their form over the last kind of five or six weeks is really impressive. I've been on a bit of a roller coaster since we last spoke, George, with uh, Plymouth Argyle uh, and their manager, Ryan Lowe, where really the first, well, pre-season and the first part of the season, you were very bullish about them. And I kept devils advocating you with discussions about how poor their strikers were compared to to what Lowe had to work with at Berry last season. And that was a big reservation for me. Uh, after they beat Steamlidge on the 29th, I got back from the Quest show. I think I had a beer or two and I was spending my time, as I like to do on a Saturday night, going through stats, facts, trends, all that sort of stuff. And I basically talked myself into Plymouth in a massive way. Uh, at that point, they'd won seven of their last nine. Uh, they were basically level with Swindon in terms of form over the last 12 games. And I saw they had Swindon at home up next. And I got a bit carried away and put a bet on them to win the league uh, in a double with Oxford as well. I think they're about seven or eight to one at that point, And I was feeling really good about it. Really excited, even though I was ignoring my own reservations about their strikers. Uh, then, of course, you blame me for this. <laughs> then, of course, they lost to Swindon. Uh, which put quite a big gap between the two sides uh, and a good follow-up win against Gunthorpe. I'm still feeling good about Plymouth. I still think out of all the teams in that league, if there's what, if you say to me there's a team that's going to pick up an absurd amount of points in the second half of the season from, from this moment on, I would still pick Plymouth. Um, but no doubt they do need some attacking reinforcements. Um, and I think we need to shout out Macclesfield as well at this point, specifically the Macclesfield players. And the staff, Danny Whitaker, who's the current caretaker manager. Uh, Daryl McMahon resigned, left the club. He's already got a, a job in the league below at Dag and Red. Clearly no hard feelings uh, between the fan base and Daryl McMahon. Actually quite a lot of respect for the job that he was able to do in, in four months in charge um, with the club in, in such turmoil financially. Something that you know we said we need to keep talking about because it's not being resolved yet. Uh, they did miss a game since we last spoke. They couldn't play against Plymouth on the 21st of December uh, after the ground failed at uh, a safety certificate, essentially. The owner has said that he's in advanced negotiations with various third parties, but seem, there seems to be it seems to be dragging on a fair bit, and that is hugely concerning because this is a, 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 another situation that could have the, the worst po possible results. So... Uh, something that we're very, very worried about and uh, we'd like to see sorted as soon as possible. Uh, they did get a win on the weekend. So despite their manager having resigned, despite the cloud of a further points deduction hanging over them, despite key players Archibald and Osadebi vanishing from recent matchday squads, uh, still picking up three points and, and still doing their best as players, which uh, is hugely, hugely admirable. Are you excited, George, about Giovanni Brown's move to Forest Green? Slotted straight in at number 10 for them on the weekend. For some reason it didn't work out at Colchester. Yeah, I am. Um, <clears throat> it's 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 a difficult one for a player who hasn't played for six months, I think, to come into a side like this and immediately have an impact. But there's no denying that Forest Green needs some cutting edge and he is quite clearly able to do that. Uh, similarly, at Cambridge, he was the player who they totally relied on for their attacking output. And it feels like that role could be fairly similar at Forest Green, given that Colchester already have uh, an embarrassment of riches on the wings, should we say. Um, so, yeah, I am. I am. I mean, it, it undoubtedly improves their squads. Um, it's quite strange for Colchester to be happy to um, strengthen a possible promotion rival, given I'm sure there were teams lower down who would have taken a punt on Brown or possibly even higher up. Um, My guess is a lot of teams at this level need to free up wages yeah, before they can get their own additions in, yeah. uh, and that might have been something like that. Uh, Tumani Diagaraga moving to Morecambe, another eye-catching signing. Suggestions that the last year or two haven't been that kind to him uh, physically, but rejoins uh, Derek Adams, who was his manager at Plymouth for, for half a season or so, could make a difference for Morecambe in their bid to survive. Uh, and just a short bit on the FA Cup, George, which we've ignored thus far, uh, because some good performances in the third round from various EFL teams. Uh, Oxford in their role as party poopers, dumping out one of only two non-league clubs in Hartlepool, winning 4-1. Shandon Baptiste doing bits. Uh, Derby won away at Premier League Palace. Uh, I did, <laughs> after Rooney's debut, I tweeted something about how 
it's really nice watching him spray long passes at, at a level that no one else in the league can do apart from Tom Huddleston. But do they need him to do that if they already had Tom Huddleston? And they both played against Palace. So I haven't watched that back, but I hope they were just sitting next to each other spraying <laughs> Diags. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, we touched on beating Brighton, Fulham beating Aston Villa, uh, Middlesbrough earning a replay at Spurs, Rochdale doing the same against Newcastle. Shout out to Aaron Wilbraham, who has scored in four different decades now. Not many people can say that. Uh, and you mentioned at the very top of the show, QPR's five goals at home to Swansea, just a few days after six goals at home to Cardiff. Bright say Samuel looking really good at the moment. Uh, and, and thoughts on Tom Pope. Really nice to have been on the airwaves with you, George, after a couple of weeks off. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. I have, mate. Thank you. Are you excited about 2020, NTT20's 2020? It's it, certainly alliterative um, to an extent. Yeah, I am, of course. I think we have had a magnificent 2019. Wow. What? Even though you do say so yourself. Well, I think we have enjoyed our, our magnificent 2019. Yes, agreed. And um, and fingers crossed for more fun coming up. We're looking to do a couple more EFL midweekers, that's for sure. I've got a couple in the pipeline. I really want to go see this new stand at Plymouth. And it's not just because, you know, my my essentially my future is hinging on them winning the League 2 title. Uh, but I would quite like to go to Plymouth at some point, so we need to have a look at their dates. I'd like to get up to Tranmere as well. We talked about Brentford Leeds. Anyway, let us know if your team has any midweek games coming up and you think we should be going to watch that, then do let us know at NTT20pod on Twitter and on Instagram where you can find us. More of a picture-based medium, that one. Uh, Twitter for your text for your for your wordplay uh, thanks very much for listening guys we're glad to be back we'll be back again towards the end of this week with a long-awaited betting show and uh yeah just buzzing for ntt20s 2020